and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Father, we come to you once again, placing ourselves under the scriptures, asking the Holy Spirit through the scriptures to speak life to us this morning. We want to hear, we want to see ourselves as you see us. We want to see our sins in light of your holiness. We want to repent of our sins and believe again in Jesus and his gospel. Father, for some, that may be the first time today and they come alive in Christ and we want to celebrate that. For many of us, it will be another opportunity to repent and believe the gospel. So, Father, we ask that you would restore the joy of our salvation today. That you would challenge, convict, and encourage by your spirit for your glory. We want to praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. A year after Jennifer and I got married, we moved to Lafayette. And uh, pursuing what we felt was the will of God to uh, teach school and for me to go to graduate school at ULL and become an administrator one day, a principal of a school, to to be called by God to reform public education. We were going to fix it, right? That's what we really believe God wanted us to do with the rest of our lives. And uh, unbeknownst to us, God had different plans, not for me to go to graduate school, but for us to become part of a church. Um... And in that church for God to use men, use the Holy Spirit, of course, himself, the scriptures to call me to to vocational ministry, to become a pastor, a preacher. Um, And um, in that process, uh, learn how to love the church, learn how to love the local church and serve in the local church. We had done a terrible job of becoming part of a local church while we were in college. And I'll, I'll say that story for another day. But we moved to Lafayette. We were incredibly excited. Because we as this new young married couple, we didn't have kids. We get to find this church God wants us to be a part of. And it's an incredible story of how God led us to the, the church we were part of, Calvary Baptist. Uh, but once we knew we were where he wanted us, we were all in. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, PBS, just whatever they had. We were, we were in there doing it. Which is how we got stuck. I mean, how we got the privilege to lead the van ministry. Our church had uh, recently purchased a 15-passenger van. And they needed somebody to drive it around and pick up people. And we were like, yeah, we'll do it. You want us to do it? We'll do that. And uh, we had the opportunity to go pick up some kids, some older people, some impoverished people who lived in these rural areas around Lafayette. So our church loved to have church early, a 9 o'clock Sunday school, 10, 15, 10, 30 worship gathering. 
And so for us to leave our house on the south side of Lafayette to drive 20 minutes to the north side of Lafayette and go pick up these people that took more than an hour to pick them up and be back to church by 9 o'clock, we'd have to leave Sunday mornings like 7.15, 7.30, bring them back to the, the worship gathering, the Sunday school, then after the service, take them back to their homes, and then we drove back home on the other side of Lafayette. So it was like 7.15 to 2 o'clock every Sunday we were doing this. And, uh, you know, we were very gung-ho, motivated for like a month. And then it was, what are we doing? This is miserable. We're exhausted. We're coming to church, and everybody's been sleeping in all morning, enjoying their coffee and breakfast together as a family. And after the worship gathering, they're going out to eat with family, and we're driving people all around, and we're dragging into our home at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and having to come back at 5 or 6 for other Sunday night activities. And... And we began to grumble and gripe and find that in our hearts, uh, we were not finding joy in this ministry. Like, look at us. People aren't applauding us for, for doing Like, every now and then they give us a thank you card, but mostly it was just us fighting the grumbling and the griping. And, you know, how do we get out of this? Maybe we should have a kid. So we had Abigail. We got out of it. Just kidding. That's not why we had Abigail. Uh, we lost sight of the purpose and vision for the bus ministry. Now, you can debate the merits of if we should have done that ministry or why it was just falling on two people instead of a team of people. But our church had given us a task and we turned it into a chore because it became about us, our personal comforts, the lack of applause we thought we should receive, our personal desires, comparing how much we were doing, look at us, with what other people were doing. And whatever blessing or joy God could have given us, we missed out on. Some of you have been in that place, serving in a local church. Some of you may be there right now. Some of you may, not be, on, some of you may be on the other end of the spectrum where it's not you're serving and, and comparing yourself and you're frustrated with grumbling and griping, but you're not engaged. You're not in the game. You're just kind of sitting in the sidelines and watching other people serve in the local church. Just kind of there but not there. And sometimes part of it is you see the sacrifice and the requirements of the mission, you see the cost, and you're having this debate within yourself. Is it worth it? I'm not sure I want to get out of the stands and get on the field and get in the game. So whether you struggle with being burned out or whether your struggle is with engaging, understand this. The primary remedy is you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, feel the Holy Spirit, depend on the Spirit, trust the Spirit of God to, to, to lead you to serve God so that there is joy. But part of it is also learning to, to, to remind yourself, to remember why you're doing what you're doing. What are you chasing? Why is it worth it? What is the end game? Like why do we do this? Why do we come to this building every Sunday? Why do we go and live as missional communities throughout the week? Why do we have these DNA groups where we're, we're, we're getting together, two or three of us or four of us, and we're trying to, to manipulate our schedules so that we can be together as men with men and women with women to go deep discipling of each other, deep in the scriptures, deep in repenting of sin, believing the gospel? Why, why are we chasing all these things? We like to say at the crossing, we put it like this, our vision statement, we desire all people to enjoy Christ always by following Him and being changed by His gospel. This is what we're after. This is what we want. This isn't some vision statement that's very unique. It's basically what Scripture we believe Scripture says. We've got it in a concise form so we can remember it. But we want to see all people, whatever age, whatever ethnicity, 
whatever socioeconomic group, whatever religious background, educational background, all people come to know Jesus Christ and be changed by his gospel. Go be disciples who make disciples of Jesus. We don't exist for ourselves, so we're not a cruise ship for the saints. We exist for others who are far from God to come to know this God who has saved us by his grace for his glory. We want to see people know Jesus and his good news, be captivated by him, follow him wholeheartedly, be changed by Jesus and his gospel in every area of life. And for this to lead to joy and not drudgery, for this to lead to to peace and life and not grumbling and misery. And we want this for anyone and everyone in Monroe and to the ends of the earth and everywhere in between. Like we've said from the beginning, we're, we're not a church, a new church that's invented some way of doing church that's never been done before. Like we haven't figured out some secret. As much as possible, we're trying to be the church of Acts 2. It's been in place for thousands of years. We just want to be very intentional about it. So let's strip away the things that aren't necessary. Let's free the people of God to have the time and the flexibility to go be the people of God in the city. Not, not just in this building, So you don't show up here on Sundays and check the box. I did church. I'm good with God. No, no, no. You go be the people of God in the city and live out this calling and this life that we have in Christ. Jennifer and I lost sight of that reality when we were doing the bus ministry. It became all about us, our comfort. Now, there were times where it was beautiful and good and good conversations happened, but it could have been so much more. We were being religious instead of being devoted to Jesus. So to help us stay away from joyless duty, to remain captivated by this mission, this vision Jesus has given us as a church, we believe it's important that we take time every year to interrupt whatever series we're in. So if you're new here, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. We're taking a break from the Gospel of Mark for three weeks to the end of September and to look at who we are as the Crossing Church. We call this series, uh, We Are the Crossing. We've done it the last two years in various forms. And as the Lord wills, we'll continue to do this every year around this time of the year. It's our attempt and desire to stop and focus on who we are, what we're doing, with the desire to stay the course. To stay the course. To not forget what he's called us to. To not lose sight of the vision and mission of being a healthy, gospel-centered, disciple, multiplication, church-planting church in the city of Monroe. It's incredibly easy to fall into the rut of religion and we just start having services and we just show up and we're just checking the box and we're just doing a lot of busy work in the city, patting ourselves on the back and we're not accomplishing anything for the kingdom of God. And so we want to stop and examine ourselves and figure out are we on, are we on tack, tack um, the path that we want to be on. Next week, we'll walk through our mission. The following week, we'll look at membership. But today, we begin where it all begins, and that's our gospel-shaped identity. We always begin with identity. The very first three teachings we did in this room in the summer of 2014 were three sermons on our identity. Why? Because what we do flows from who we are. What we do flows from who we are. We have an identity in Christ first. Then we have a mission and a calling. Being precedes doing. Like if you get those backwards, if you start doing so you can become somebody, then you become religious. You are somebody in Christ 
Now you go and live out the reality of that new identity. Like if, if you were to ask me about myself, who are you? And I answer you, well, I'm the husband of Jennifer and I'm the father of Abigail and Emma Grace and Sarah and Timothy. I'm a pastor of the Crossing Church. I'm a friend of blank, just whoever, fill in the blank. I'm a chaplain and volunteer coordinator at St. Joseph Hospice. I'm a, a resident of Monroe. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a fan of LSU, the team, not the coach. I'm a fan of Golden State Warriors, fan this year of Arizona Cardinals. We'll see. See how it goes today. Um, I'm a JV volleyball coach for our girls. I'm a church planner. That, I mean, that's a pretty good summary of, of what most people would expect to hear if you were to ask me about myself, right? The reality is none of those descriptors are 100% permanent. There could be a day when Jennifer and I are no longer married because of death. There could be a day because of tragedy I'm no longer the father of Abigail and Immigrants and Sarah and Tom. There could be a day where I no longer am employed by St. Joseph Hospice. I'm no longer the friend of blank because I've made them mad and they quit being my friend. I'm no longer uh, a, a pastor in the Crossing Church or a church planter. There could be a day where all those things are not untrue. They will be untrue. I'm no longer living in Monroe or a citizen of the United States. So if my value, my worth, and identity is wrapped up in those relationships and responsibilities that are not permanent, then what happens when those things are gone? I'm basing everything on those things and I lose them. What happens? Where's my value, my worth, my identity? I'll always just be talking about who I used to be, what I used to do. Like I see this all the time doing hospice work with people at the end of their life who had their value, their identity, their worth wrapped up in who they used to be and all they could talk about is what they used to do and who they used to be. And they struggle with identity and value now in your last days, weeks, months of your life. But what if I base my identity on something, or better, someone who is permanent and eternal? What if my identity is wrapped up in who I am in Jesus and what Jesus says about me? Well, then that changes everything. Because nothing and no one can take that away. And I can lose everything. And I still am the same person in Christ. Christ has done all the work necessary for us to become new creations and now we go and serve and live out the reality of that identity. So I'm going to walk through three different passages and show you this, how, how this plays out in these passages. This, this is who we, who we were. This is what Christ has done. This is now who we are. And this is now what we go and do. Okay? So in the, the passage that we read at the beginning of the, of the service the worship gathering, 1 Peter 2, 9-12, through 12, we first see who we were. God is holy, we are not. We are born in sin. So the Bible describes us in these terms. We were in darkness. We once were not a people. And we once were a people who had not received mercy. That's the state in which we're born, that is who we were. Titus chapter 3, the passage I just read, verses 3-8. through 8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That is the natural state of humanity. You're born, that's who you are. 
It's, it's who we become. With varying degrees. Like look, we look pretty good and moral apart from Jesus Christ. But inwardly, that is the nature of our heart. This slave to sin. This malice and envy that's inside of us. This hatred, holding things against each other. This is our natural condition. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Corpse in which you once walked to following the course of this world. Walk there simply means live. This is how you lived. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all, Paul's including himself in that. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. This is everybody. Born naturally in this state of lostness, darkness, death, sin, evil, slavery. Like you don't have to live very long to see the brokenness in the world, to see the brokenness in your own heart. Why do you keep doing things that you know you shouldn't do? Why do you keep chasing things that you know are harmful and hurtful? Why is this this constant love and call towards sin? It's because it's the sin nature we're born with. It's this natural bent toward rebellion against God that's been in place since Adam and Eve first disobeyed God in the garden. It is the sin nature that we've inherited because we're human. That's who we were. Now, look at these these words and these passages of identity about who we are now. 1 Peter 2, 9-12. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We were not God's people, but now we are God's people. We had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Is that beautiful? Once you were not a people, you had no identity. Now you're God's people. You're people defined by the God who created them, unified by the God who made them and gave them life. Titus 3, 3-8. This new identity is described here. We've become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then Ephesians 2, beginning uh, in chapter, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 10, the very beginning of verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. Workmanship comes from the Greek word poema, which we get our word poem from. We are God's poem, his masterpiece, his work of art, beauty. This is who we were, now this is who we are. Chosen, holy, blameless, work of art in God's eyes, heirs of eternal life. How is that possible? How can we be born in this state and then have a new identity described by those terms? How can that be said of the same person? How can we have that transformation? Y'all know the answer. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The person and work of Jesus Christ. Look back again. See this come out of these passages. 1 Peter 2. Well, actually in 1 Peter, it's it's earlier in chapter 1. But in Titus chapter 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. 
by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, this is the work of the gospel. God came as a man. He lived the righteous life that we fell at every single day. At the end of his life, he didn't get the worship and adoration of all the people. He got the cross. The, the instrument of death for a common criminal. The shame of the humiliation of being crucified naked before everyone exposed the elements. His own father, for the first time in eternity, turned his back on his own son. Because our sins were laid on him. And then he rose from the dead, defeating death, proving everything he said and did was true. And it's our faith and belief in this person, this work of Jesus that makes us that new person. That takes us from being in darkness, lost, dead, into being chosen, holy, blameless, priest of God. God's people who have received mercy, who have life in Christ. God's poem, workmanship, new creation. Paul put it like this in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So not after you cleaned yourself up, not after you came to church enough to prove you're worthy of God's salvation, while you were dead, because of his great love in which he's loved us, made us alive together with Christ. You don't save yourself. You're dead. You're in the tomb until Jesus comes along and says, Lazarus, Jared, get up. Here's life. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him. Seated, this is talking about us. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's you, Christian. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is what he wants to do for us. To us, the dead, the broken, the sinful. He's saving us so that in the coming ages, for all of eternity, he might pour his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness on us. What have we done to earn this, deserve this? What have we done? We've shaken our fist in his face. We've chased sin instead of chasing him. We've rebelled against him in every way. And yet while we were dead, he's made us alive so that he can pour his grace and kindness on us. How did this happen? For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one will stand before God one day and say, look what I've done. We'll fall on our face and worship Him because He's done it all. So God is holy. We are not. We are sinful. That is who we were. But through the gospel, the person work of Jesus, we are now a new creation, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old is past, the new has come. So now what do we do? What do we do? See, identity leading to action. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 12. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. He's made you this people 
So you can go out and tell everybody how amazing he is. That you can proclaim how amazing he is. Look what he's done. Look at what I've experienced. This is who I was and now this is who I am. Uh, A little bit later on. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Identity leads to action. Titus 3, 3 through 3-8. We're heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We've been transformed, made new people to go out and do good works. These are excellent and profitable for people. In Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship. This is as clear as it can be. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you try and do the good works to be this person, you are religious. But if you allow Christ to transform you and make you a new person, you will do the good works. It will be the natural result of the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in you, living in you. You're not going to be able to help to do the good works because even when you fail, He's sanctifying you so that through your failures, you're still giving glory to God. So if the doing or obedience of Jesus is not showing up in your life, the first response should not be do more, try harder. You've got to pull myself up by the bootstrap and just work hard and strap on the chin strap and get after it. That's religion. And it's evil. Your first response when you're not seeing the obedience and the, the, the living out of the, the mission and vision that Jesus has given you, when you're not seeing your life, your first response is this. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Who are you in Christ Jesus? Like even the non-Christian world gets this idea of identity. Right? And Lion King... Simba forgot who he was, the son of Mufasa. He escaped to the land of Pumbaa and Simon to live a life of no worries, carefree, akuna matata, to chase and play and eat bugs and binge watch Netflix probably, if they had it, until Nala shows up. She's like, we need your help. The problems are in despair. The hyenas are in charge and scar, I think. He's like, no, I'm having too much fun over here. I'm not coming back. And this crazy monkey shows up, beats him over the head, and, and it becomes this, this key moment of the, of the movie where Simba has to remember, remember who you are. You're this king, this lion, and the line of all these other kings and lions. And only then, when he remembers who he is, does he go back and take over and provide a happy ending. Even more recently, The, the Force Awakens, like the big story we're waiting to find out. Who is Ray? She's got all this power. Why does she have this power? Because her parents, her dad was Obi-Wan? I don't know. We don't know. It's driving us crazy because we don't know her identity. Like we know what she can do, but why can she do what she's doing? She's got this identity that we're kind of left in the lurch about. So even the non-Christian world gets this idea of identity being established and secure 
before proper action comes. And so when obedience to Jesus is not showing up in your life, remember who you are. You're no longer identified by being in the kingdom of darkness, a child of wrath, a living life according to the, the pleasures of your flesh. That's not who you are anymore. You're no longer dead in your sins and trespasses, a slave to sin where you just can't help but sin. That's, not, that's who you used to be. But because of Christ, you're no longer that person. You're no longer a, a child of wrath, storing up wrath for the day of wrath. Remember, this is your identity because your identity doesn't depend on your performance. Your identity doesn't change based on how you do. If, if, if our identity was rooted in our performance, it would change. Like today, I'd be a good Christian. Tomorrow, I'd be a wicked sinner. This moment, I'd be great. The next moment, I'd be horrible. Our identity is rooted in the performance of Christ. So our identity never changes. We're always seen by God as holy, chosen, blameless, children of God, dearly loved sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. Redeemed, forgiven, covered in the righteousness of Christ, sins forgiven by the blood of Christ on the cross. Always. He sees us like that always. That's who we are now because of Christ. When we're made alive to Christ, we become this new creation, made alive to do good works. And when we fail, or we find that our good works have become just duty, dry, and joyless, the first thing we do is remind ourselves, who are we? Like often when I sin against Jennifer and the kids, the conversation is something like this. I'm sorry for not being gracious. I'm sorry for speaking to you in anger. I'm sorry for treating you harshly. That is not who I want to be. That is not who Jesus has made me to be. Will you forgive me? It's an identity issue as much as it's an action issue. Now look, if your life is marked more by sin and chasing sin and you're not repentant, like you're, you're just, I'm chasing sin, I'm trying to hide it from as many people as possible. Continue in it. It could be. You've never come alive in Christ. You've never become a new creation in Christ. Don't assume you've been forgiven. Don't assume salvation. You might just be religious. This is a, an epidemic in the Bible Belt. Scores of people who are just religious, not walking in repentance or trusting Jesus for salvation, but they're basing their standing before God on their performance. Well, I'm a member of a church. I've made a decision. I've been baptized. I serve. I give. I go. Look at what I've done. Of course I'm okay with God. Like, you can do all of those things and be a genuine believer. And you can do all of those things and be lost and just religious. Right? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21-23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You're waiting to enter the kingdom of God at the end of your life. And you're standing next to a guy or a girl 
who prophesied in the name of Jesus, who cast out demons in the name of Jesus and did mighty works in the name of Jesus. And they don't get in. That's a pretty good resume. And Jesus is going to look at people like that on the day of judgment. So this is a deception that lasts all the way to the day of judgment. Jesus will look at them and say, I never knew you. Doesn't matter that you were doing it in my name. You thought you were, but you were just religious. I never knew you. So how do we know if we're genuinely saved, if we receive this new identity? Well, it says it there. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on in the following verses, verse 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and, f- and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Two houses, identical. Facing two storms, identical storms. One stood, one fell. One built on a rock, one built on the sand. What was the difference? The one built on the rock heard and obeyed the words of Christ. The one built on the sand did not. Is your life marked by obedience to God? Not perfection. Nobody's expecting perfection. Right? We're all still sinful, but are we repentant sinners? Are we indulgent sinners? Does your heart have a desire to pursue Jesus? When you sin, do you run to God in repentance for a fresh cleansing and restoration, asking Him to restore the joy of your salvation? Do you have this this progression over months and years of pursuing God? Yes, momentary failures. We all have them. But overall, the bent, the direction of your life has been to Christ in obedience and growth and maturity in Him. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning and you think you may only be religious and you've never been born again, born from above, made into a new creation by Christ, I plead with you not to leave here this morning without talking to someone. Like the person you came with or pretty much anyone in this room We'll stay with you. We'll talk with you to help you work out your salvation, to go eat lunch with you, to meet with you this week, whatever it takes to help you understand where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Where are you as a child of God? It could be you're lost. And today is the day of your salvation. It could be that you've just chased sin for so long, you've lost the assurance of your salvation, the joy of your salvation. So I'm not done, but I just want to just take a few moments just to pray. Because I don't, I don't know how the Spirit of God is working in you right now, but I want to pray for you and trust that the Spirit will do the necessary work in you to bring you to Him. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. And as you have been speaking and working in us already this morning, I pray that you would bring life where there needs to be life where there needs to be salvation, there needs to be a repenting of sin and turning to Jesus for the first time genuinely. God, I ask you 
to not allow us to give anyone a false assurance of salvation because they've done some religious good deeds. That you would speak very clearly, clearly to the hearts of everyone here this morning and bring life where there is death. To bring hope where there is no hope because their, their faith and trust is not in Jesus. And for your children, those who have been born again, Father, I pray you would speak peace, speak love, speak comfort over us today. That you would assure us once again we are yours and no one can ever change that. And let that lead to joy and worship and devotion as we continue to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus. Do this work for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the starting point. This is the starting point, being genuinely born again. Your identity in Christ. If you're not in Christ and Christ is not in you, if you've not been born again, you can pursue all the things that we're asking people of the Crossing Church to pursue, and you're only going to be religious. And you will accumulate many impressive religious medals and ribbons. Look at me, I'm a member of a church plant. Look at me, I'm in a missional community. Look at me, I'm in a DNA group. Look at me up here singing. Look at me helping with the kids, teaching or leading in some capacity. Look at all the things I've done. And you can have all of that and then die and spend eternity in hell cut off from God because you are only religious. But guys, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you have this new nature and all the promises and all the possibilities of what Christ says about us as a people of God are now possible. All of it. God can use you to make an impact for eternity. God can use us to see people come into the kingdom of God and transform our city and transform our culture, one person, one house, one family at a time. This is mind-blowing. We can be used by God to do things that last forever. Now, we specifically talk about identity in the crossing in three different terms. Family, servant, missionary. We talked about our identity in these three terms because we see them flowing from the triune nature of God. So God the Father, family, adopts us into his family and we become his sons and daughters. And we become to each other brothers and sisters. First John, rather John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. This is why we talk about being born again. You're born from above, born of God. This is the forever family that, you, that once you're in, you're never kicked out of this family. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. You're his, adopted to God's family forever. This is a family that doesn't do away with the biological family unit, but it does supersede the biological family unit. So the New Testament is filled with scriptures about God honoring husbands and God honoring wives and parents who honor God and how they parent their kids and kids who honor God and how they obey their parents. In fact, a man can't be an elder of a church if he doesn't manage his household, his biological family unit well. Biological family still matters, right? But there's also this problem in our culture, especially of uh, of the idolatry of the family idolizing the family, worshiping the family, 
Blood is thicker than water. You ever heard that? Practically, it looks like this. It can look like this. Dad is obviously in sin. The local church leaders are attempting to call him to repentance. I'm going to be loyal to Dad and not Jesus by supporting Dad in his sin rather than being his brother or sister in Christ and helping call him to repent of his sin and believe the gospel. Because my loyalty to Dad supersedes my loyalty to Jesus in the church. Or it could be this. My last name is enough to make it to heaven because my grandparents... My parents and all the things that they've done. So obviously I'm going to have them because of how awesome they were. Just kind of flow in right behind them. Sneak in. They won't see me. Or let's give all of our time and energy and resources to the enjoyment of our life as a family. So we travel and camp and have fun and play ball and eat and go out and, and do a lot of fun things. So we can't be part of a local body of believers because we're going so much and having so much fun as a family. We don't disciple our kids because we're not there enough to be equipped to disciple our kids because we're having so much fun. And so our comfort and enjoyment of life as a family supersedes the calling us to be the people of God. Like we can do all of that stuff, but add gospel intentionality and discipling your kids as part of that while you're teaching and modeling for them to value being a part of a local church family. We want gospel-centered biological families who make up the crossing church and model and teach and equip other families in our culture on how to navigate the craziness of being a family in our culture today while not worshiping the family, but letting God use your family to bless your neighbors, to bless your extended family, to bless the city. Like I can spend all my time as a husband and dad helping Jennifer and the kids be happy. Let's travel, let's play, and let's have fun and neglect my calling to disciple them. Or we can do the fun stuff with the gospel in mind so that we don't worship the fun, we worship Jesus through having fun. And we invite other families to do that with us so we can model gospel relationships with them. We want healthy families to make up the crossing church because also there are so many broken families in our city. And we have the opportunity to be a family for people that don't have a family biologically. Through abuse, divorce, parent disconnect, parent neglect, parental abandonment. We have children and teenagers and students and spouses that have been wounded deeply by people that share the same last name or have the same blood. And we can come along as a family of God who share the blood of Jesus and be their family and help redeem what the enemy has taken away and destroyed. And we've seen that happen over the last couple of years. And it's beautiful. And God is glorified. And there are going to be more and more opportunities for that because our city is filled with broken families. And we can be the family that God intends for them to have. God has made us family through his son Jesus. We are family, and so as adopted sons and daughters of God, we have a father who's always pleased with us as his kids because our standing, again, is rooted in Christ. So what do we do? That's who we are. What do we do? We are family, so we love each other with unconditional love and grace, and we demonstrate to our city what genuine love and commitment to each other looks like as we care for each other's needs, as we disciple each other, as we work through our differences and insecurities, and when we sin against each other. We will. We have. We don't quit. 
We don't just kick each other out of our, each other's life because we're family forever. We have hard conversations that need to be had, calling each other to quit chasing sin and chase Jesus. And we can have those hard conversations. We can risk the relationship because God has made us family. And we can't change that. So even if we're in a different church than each other, because sometimes that happens, we're still going to be hanging out forever. And so we need to reconcile that relationship. And it needs to be health and vitality there. We're also not just family, we're servants. So God the Father has made us family. God the Son came and took on the posture of a servant, giving his life for our righteousness and his death for our sins so we can be reconciled to God. And then we go out and serve others with the same humility that Jesus demonstrated. Philippians 2, 5-8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a servant of Christ, I'm not a slave to anyone or anything else, and so I fight with Jesus against the idolatry in my heart, the desire to be a slave to sin that still exists in my heart. As a servant of King Jesus, I'm loyal to Jesus and his kingdom above and beyond any other kingdom, nation, or flag. We make much of America. We're grateful for this country that God has created and established for many good reasons and purposes. But one day there will be no America. This is not an eternal kingdom. It will not last forever. But the kingdom of Jesus will. And so our allegiance is first and foremost to King Jesus. Because I'm a servant of King Jesus, I can be humble like my king. I can go out and sacrifice and give my life away for the good of others to come and know Jesus. We don't have to pursue pursue positions of power or prominence or fame. I don't need that because we have the favor of the king of the universe. Who cares what people say about us on social media? We have the, the delight, the favor of the king of the universe, King Jesus. And if he chooses to give us positions of power, popularity, prominence, fame, or whatever, then we use that to tell others about, not King me or King you, King Jesus. That's why he gives it to us, to become a platform to make him known to other people. So the question is never, what about me? What's in it for me? I'm not getting anything out of this. Why am I doing all this? That's not the posture of a servant. A servant is always asking, what else can I give? What else can I do? Where else do you want me to go? How else can I love and serve and lay down my life and sacrifice everything so people can come into this kingdom? That's the posture of a servant. We're willing to give it away all for our king because he's going to give us whatever we need to make him known. God the Father has adopted us as his children. We are a family. God the Son has come to serve and not be served and we are servants of King Jesus. And lastly, as the Father and Son sent the Spirit, so we are sent by the Spirit and the power of the Spirit of God to be missionaries for Jesus and His gospel. So family, servant, missionaries. John 20, 21, Jesus said to the disciples, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus, um, Jesse rather, will walk us more through this mission as sent ones. It's a common slip up with Jesse, we say it all the time. He'll walk us more through this mission next Sunday as what it looks like to be disciple makers and being sent on this mission. 
But essentially, we do not exist as a church only for the mutual benefit of each other. This is not just one big party for each other. We're having fun. We're enjoying each other. Let's just keep coming here and having fun. This is us coming together now to be equipped, edified, built up, encouraged. Now go be the people of God in the city. We're sending you out to make an impact of Jesus in the city. We care way more about who we send than how many people we get in this building. We'd rather there be twice as many people being sent as missionaries in the city that are part of our missional communities than have all these people pile up in a building to, to be tickled or uh, pleased by what they hear or what they sing or what they experience. Have good coffee or donuts or whatever. We are sent into the darkness as light. We are sent into the brokenness with the balm of the gospel. We are sent into the lives of those far from God because by God's grace we've been brought near by Jesus. And so our entire lives are seen through the lens of being sent in every single place we go as a mission field. Missionaries are not those who just go to other countries. That could be God's call in your life. But all of us in Jesus are missionaries right now to the city of Monroe. And the Spirit has sent us to St. Joseph Hospice and CenturyLink and Regions Bank and BDS. The Spirit of God has sent us to Jack Hayes, West Monroe High School, Washtenaw Parish High School, ULM, the Washtenaw Parish School System, Riser Elementary, St. Francis, the Christian Homeschool Association, the Oaks. Parkview Apartments, Project 41, Starbucks, Corner Coffee, Anytime Fitness, The Mac, Pickle Barrel, Governors, Daily Press. The Spirit is sending us to Spencer Avenue and Dean Chapel and Leisure Drive and Finks Hideaway and Indian Lakes and Fernwood Drive and Wilmoth Road or Drive or Avenue, whatever it is. The Spirit is sending us to Walmart and Target and the mall and the movies and anywhere and everywhere we go as God's people is a mission field. We're being sent. Every single week, where we shop, eat, play, work, enjoy life, work out, whatever, fill up our gas. It's not just jobs, schools, places we live. It's not just coincidence we are there. It's mission fields the Spirit has sovereignly put us in. And we go in the power of the Spirit, the boldness of the Spirit, and we speak up and love compassionately and pursue people the same way our Father has pursued us. We organize ourselves into missional communities because we know that apart from having gospel community, we're going to quit. It's too hard to do on your own. But with accountability, with encouragement, we still fail. But by God's grace, we will keep getting up, going out, waking up every day saying, here am I. Send me again. This is who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. Crossing Church, a family of servant missionaries. And once again, we're about to be sent out to live this again for another week. And we keep doing this week after week, year after year. And over time, God brings the growth of people who've been changed by his gospel. And we find joy in that. Not because we're trying to earn something or prove ourselves or work our way to heaven but because we have been transformed by Jesus Christ and made into a new creation. This is why we gather. This is why we give. This is why we sing. This is why we exist. Let's do this 
the Crossing Church because we are this. It's who we are. The Spirit of God is not going to let us alone. He will continually come after us to discipline us, to call us to repentance, to bring us back to this task. You're you're hearing this. You're accountable for this now. What are you going to do with it? Father, we're grateful for your grace and mercy that you would save us who don't deserve it. All we deserve is hell, but you have given us life. Not to just enjoy it for ourselves, but to share it, spread it, and be sent to shine this light in dark places all over the world. In whatever ways we aren't, call us to repent and believe again in who we are and who Jesus has made us to be. Help us to trust you for the power, the the equipping, the enabling of the the Spirit of God to, to do this. And help it to be done in a way that leads to joy. Joy in Christ. Joy in the task. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to um, take a few moments to reflect. We're going to hear a prayer read, give you an opportunity to reflect on where you are in your relationship with God, repent of sin, believe the gospel. If you need to talk to somebody right now, find the person you came with. Head to the back. There's some rooms where you can talk. You can see me, Kendrick, sitting at the back table. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus and your relationship with him. And after you've had time to reflect Repent, believe the gospel again. If you're a baptized believer, repenting of your sins, we invite you to come when you're ready and pick up a piece of the bread representing the body of Christ and dip it in the cup representing the blood of Christ and then return to your seats and we'll share in this meal together. And then we'll sing.